Hello, welcome to The Making of Me, a monologue show where music creators discuss their work and an event that contributed to who they are today. My name is Lyndon. Uh, my middle name is Jay, so I go by Lyndon Jay. Um, I'm from North London and I'm a musician, producer, engineer, and I, I'm completely obsessive about what I do and I love making music and working with other people who feel the same way. Typical day for Linden doesn't exist because my schedule is absolute mayhem. My main focus uh, amongst all this noise is my band. We're called Far with two R's, F-A-R-R. About three years ago, I met this dude called Romeo. We had a session in London. Um, he's from Los Angeles, he's a singer, and we caught a vibe, you could say, and we kept in touch. And via the internet, we went back and forth. He lives in LA, he'd record vocals, I'd send him beats back and forth. We wanted to do a Lyndon J. Romeo collaboration. And then we kind of realized that we needed to come up with a name and start a band, um, thus far existing. We made a whole album together. It's awesome. It's called Weightless. The whole thing about Weightless is um, it's got some really explosive, fun moments on it. And it's got some really quiet, deep, intimate, personal sort of like bedroom moments, which are really quiet and sort of delicate. We are going on tour in March, supporting the legendary Khalees. Cue milkshake jokes for a month nonstop. <laughs> well, I remember one point in my life explaining to my parents that I wanted to study music at university and them being very supportive but obviously being having ums and ahs and questioning it and I remember being upstairs in my bedroom and hearing my brother have a conversation with my parents in the kitchen downstairs and eavesdropping on it him saying you do realize that he he really really like is in this he's like really he's really up for it like it's gonna work out he's got the burning passion um and that was the moment when I sort of knew, like, all right, they're in, I'm in, I'm going to do the damn thing. And I auditioned for the Berklee College of Music in Boston, and I was awarded a half scholarship, and I packed my bags and moved on my own. I didn't know anyone. I moved to Boston, and it was really cold. <laughs> I thought London was cold. Boston was a lot colder. It snowed for, like, four months nonstop, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough. I mean, in London, I was surrounded by an amazing community of musicians and, you know, sort of in your year at school, you have, there was always like three or four musical ones, one of them being me, and we do all the school concerts and you sort of feel like musical royalty at your school. Um, and then you get to Berkeley, which is one, well, it's a, it's a big level up, but it's still a college environment. Um, and there's a lot of really incredible musicians and you're sort of dwarfed. But it's funny being dwarfed in that situation. Then when you leave college and you get into the real world, then you really feel even smaller than an ant. I made more friends probably than actually learning in classes. The classes was great. Um, I had some really good teachers, some not so great teachers. Um, but the people I met there is really what made me learn the bigger picture and not like the nitty gritty details of, of music. Um, I was exposed to so many incredibly talented people who've now gone on to be some of the greatest music musicians of our generation um playing for like the likes of like wintered marsalis and like huge jazz like the, like the modern living jazz legends were in my class at college i met people who had been playing in church since they were one year old and it's me coming along trying to compete and it's just like there's there's certain things that are in your blood and i sort of learned that 
there's certain things you can't learn and can't teach and you just have to do what you can do and that's unique to you um so yeah berkeley that was a massive massive uh, life lesson i learned there in terms of just um being yourself there's definitely that feeling of sort of like imposter syndrome like wow here i am a, i got a scholarship to the college that quincy jones and john mayer and all these legends went to um then you get there and you kind of realize that everyone feels like that and you're all just in it together I'm Lyndon Jay, and the making of me is obsessive behaviour. When I got to Berkeley, I had this slight back problem that was, uh, you know, I, I had this pain and I could feel when I was playing it hurt a little bit and it was distracting. Every now and then I'd be, I'd be playing and realise I was thinking more about my back pain than the actual music. A lot of musicians go through this, especially when they're obsessive and want to practice all the time and just get better. And pain's a is a tr is your body warning you that something's wrong. It's not just pain and then you and then you numb the pain and it goes away. I mean, we all we all know that. <laughs> it's quite loaded, the pain. It's not just one thing. Um, and it was taking me outside of what I needed to focus on. And I was there for two semesters, about nine months, and it was getting progressively worse and worse and worse. And I was sort of lying to myself and just thinking it's going to get better, like anyone does with any ailment. They don't think, oh God, I'm going to overreact and go to hospital and get it checked out. I just sort of thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep cracking on and try and do a bit of stretches or something. Anyway, to the point when I couldn't get out of bed in the morning because I had what felt like electricity flowing through my legs and I was essentially like stuck um, and I was in Boston on my own it was cold I didn't want to go to classes because I couldn't sit on a chair without having sciatica down my legs I was a state like I couldn't even play drums properly let alone lift a drum so if someone offered me a gig I couldn't do it because I couldn't get the drum kit there there was one wake-up call I had when I was riding my bike to college with a really heavy backpack on with loads of books and my laptop in my bag. And I got a sharp pain in my back that suddenly shot down my leg, sciatica. At the time, I didn't even know what it was. Um, and I fell off my bike. <laughs> and <laughs> I was lying on the pavement. Um, yeah, I was lying on the pavement. And I just thought, like, can I swear on this show? I just thought, fuck. <laughs> I was just like, lit, like, fuck. This is, I was like, what? This is really serious and I'm in denial. And there's always that like moment um, that you have. It happens throughout life in different situations of like, fuck, I'm in a toxic relationship or like, fuck, I'm like, whatever it is, you know? And I was like, whoa, this is bad. Like, I can't go on continuing my lifestyle. I need to change something i don't know what it is help somebody help <laughs> yeah that, that was that was rough <laughs> that was rough but i was limping i didn't even realize i was limping i was i was in i was that far in denial because i was so obsessed with wanting to just carry on and learn and grow and network and connect and study and just like grow but i had this thing holding trying to hold me back and um until that one moment i realized i needed to do something about it and that's a scary feeling like that's horrible My next steps were from from somebody help me to how can I actually find help? <laughs> um, I started doing physiotherapy. 
The whole way through my physio classes, they'd be like, ow, 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 like they couldn't put me in any position. I needed like serious help and I didn't, it's almost like they were too, they were trying to do their exercises with me, but then they had to be so delicate because I was in so much pain that it didn't do anything. So there was this fine line of like, well, we can't even do the stretches. So like, what stages do we need to take to be able to just do physical, physical therapy? Um, yeah, it was difficult. My friend's mom recommended a Reiki class and I was just at that point, I was like, just anything, just whatever you gotta do, like if it's placebo or not, just do something, someone. It got so bad that I, if I was standing up and I moved my hands down, I couldn't even touch my kneecaps. So I was stuck, I was like a plank. My, from the middle of my lower back to my coccyx was a plank of wood. I had um, MRI scans when I was out in Boston um, and they showed that there was a slip disc. So what happened, I think, is I had what is called a bulging disc. So um, gradually, it, like there's people walking around the street every day that have bulging discs. It's quite a common thing, but it had slowly been bulging out to the side. In between each vertebrae, you have these little like jelly, they're like rubber bands in between each one. And it was just squeezing out basically slowly. And because I was playing drums every single day, sitting down, my whole body bouncing up and down, and my feet were just hopping on the floor. My, my, when you're playing jazz, your left foot's playing the hi-hat. It's going t -t 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 with your left foot. So my left foot was just bouncing six hours a day. And it was just pushing it out more and more and more to the point when it was pressing on my sciatic nerve and the pain it was causing was leading to my back to seize up because I was tensing to try and, I was constantly tensing to try and stop the pain because if I relaxed into it, then it would pinch my nerve. So my back was like a rock. My muscles had gone completely into spasm and I'd wake up with my muscles tense. It was as if I couldn't stop tensing because if I relaxed, there was pain. Did all my final exams for my second semester at Berkeley, standing up at the back of a class. I got a music stand and raised it up because I, if I sat down, I had burning flames in my left thigh. So I was either standing up or lying flat on my back on the floor. So what happened was it got to summer and I was going to take a summer semester at Berkeley. You can do a few classes in the summer instead of taking a holiday. But I thought, okay, this is a perfect chance. I'm going to go back to London um, and figure my, <laughs> figure my life out, um, get my shit together. So I went back to London and I actually, the week after I got back to London, I was at a music festival doing, uh, I did a bit of sound engineering. I was always into sound. So I was at a festival with a friend doing sound for his show. And uh, this hip-hop group called Foreign Beggars, I don't know if you've heard of them, um, they were there and he said, hey man, I heard you do a bit of sound, we're going on tour next month, we don't have a sound engineer, 30 shows in 32 days, are you up for it? And I sort of thought, ooh, maybe this is an opportunity where I can still be creative, learn, it's a new skill set, and I can stand up. Six months passed, I did another tour, I went to Australia with a friend, I was doing a lot of sound engineering, and I deferred Berkeley, I deferred Berkeley, and I never went back. I, I, I have thought about going back at some point, but I've learned so much more in the real world in the last few years um, about being a better musician, but also just a, just grow, just growing as a human. Here I am a lot of years later, and we'll, we'll get into sort of how I overcame this and how this sort of like knockback actually taught me valuable life lessons. After a few tours, I got back and think I thought to myself, just like, God damn, I'm just not doing that again. Um, I just, I just, it's um, it's high stress engineering. 
Um, if you do a good gig, no one says you did a good job. They just say the gig was great to the artists. If you, if the sound's bad, the entire show is your fault. Um, so it just sort of felt a bit like, oh, I can't build from here. You can just keep doing, repeating the process. But I didn't find like I had like a um, a, a flow and I could keep building in that world. What that kind of led to was I was like, okay, so I've got musicianship and I've got engineering. I've got geeky stuff. <laughs> um, bang in the middle is production. It all sort of came together. It was about a year after I came back from Berkeley. I was like, damn, I'm a producer. That's it. Because being a producer, you can play instruments, you can mix stuff, you can engineer, and everything in between. You can write songs too. So it all kind of like came to a head. And I say, yeah, the word producer, whatever that means in this day and age, is what I am. So I'd got back to London and thought, all right, I need to not be in pain every day. Um, where do I start? So a lot of people recommended me different things. I did a few yoga classes and that kind of thing. But again, because I was so stiff, I couldn't even do the classes. Um, I needed like someone to sort of like, I basically didn't know what to do. Um, so I was speaking to my friend, Todd, um, and he said, oh man, I saw this amazing guy. Um, he's a Pilates instructor, like Martin Sampson. So I thought, I mean, yeah, like, I was just up for anything at that point. Somebody help me. So I thought, cool, I'll go see him. And he said, oh, he had a Pilates studio in Highgate in North London, but he's actually just moved to Norfolk um, with his wife. Uh, so I thought, all right, to Norfolk I go. So I got in my car and I drove to Norfolk to his house. He is from Germany. He was born into a circus family, um, into a touring circus family. And when he was 18, he fell in a show and broke his back. And his family dumped him. And he was left in Germany and they kept on touring. And he was half paralyzed. Um, he eventually got some feeling back and he was, he was able to walk but he would randomly be walking and his legs would just stop and he would drop to the floor. And he went through it more than I could even possibly imagine. It dwarfed my situation, him telling me the stories. That first day I got there, I thought, like the same, the same sort of feeling as like, I want to be a professional guitarist, like day one. Like, okay, where do I start? Like, it was that same feeling of like, I want to fix my back. When I got there, my, um, the tendons behind my knees were so tight they would hardly bend. So instead of, <laughs> this was brutal. I mean, he said, either we can spend four days slowly, slowly, slowly just moving them and letting them give way, or I can just like put all my weight on your knee and basically just like rip them in half and then they'll repair over the next four days, but we'll just get it over and done with, it's up to you. He's not an NHS doctor. He's he he had a certificate. He ran Pilates International. You know, he he knew what he was doing. But some of the techniques he used in his classes were not things that other Pilates teachers would even think is a Pilates exercise. It went way outside of Pilates. That was just his credential. Um, and I mean, yeah, I was I mean I was in tears. Obviously, the next day I woke up and I could bend and touch my shins, and that's when I was like, I mean, it's fucking it's emotional, like. I hadn't been able to like use my body and suddenly I was like 
Linden is also his body, not just his brain. I'm not just like, this body isn't just carrying Linden's brain around. Like, I actually feel like my body is like mobile. So that was a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, you have to struggle a bit if you want to actually gain, don't you? Martin would literally shout at me, being like, no one is going to fix you apart from you. Do the fucking stretch properly. What is this? Why are you fucking around? And I'd be like, ow, ow, like trying to stretch this. I'd be like, oh, just, uh. yeah, he just, he was blind to the, the, the pain. He didn't care I was in pain, which is almost quite dark if you look at it from the outside. But he just knew that, like, he was just like, stop pussying around, man. Like, we're going, like, in. Like, we're really fucking going. If you want to, he knew how much it was going to take for me to fix myself. So he just was like, put all this crap to the side. You're the only person in charge. I'm not here to mother you. He's the kind of guy who'd be like, you're fucking lazy, get up and do it properly. Shit like that. And I'd be, so these stretches that I'd be like, ow, ow. He's like, pain is just there. It's just a barrier in between you fixing yourself and just what you need to do. So he was really, it was brutal. The way I'm explaining it, it almost sounds like it was like a cult, but it's just a guy at his home in Norfolk who broke his back when he was 18 and then traveled the world for 50 years, setting up studios, helping other people fix themselves based on the stuff he'd learned. He was, he was, um, he was, yeah, he, he, had, he had a mission. I've never met anyone who had that much of a mission as Martin. Um, incredible, incredible person. He'd dedicated his entire life to fixing other people um, and himself. As well as helping me fix my back, he was the person that really taught me that in life, if you want anything, it ain't gonna be easy. And you have to work really, 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 really fucking hard for it. Um, and that I'll take into every single other thing I do in my life. Not only my body, but just everything. Um, every relationship, any skill set you wanna learn, you have to work if you want it. As a, as a young obsessive musician, um, when I realized, it was quite an incredible sort of like defining moment when I realized that in order to fix my health, I had to apply that same obsessive behavior to fixing myself, which wasn't natural. I had to make that part of my routine in the same way that playing music was part of my routine. I had to do my Pilates exercises like it was a religion. I had to, if I didn't do it, I wasn't gonna get better. Fixing yourself is gonna come from the inside out, not the outside in. He's like, I'm here to teach you everything, and then you're gonna fix yourself. He was the only person that had the balls to be like, man the fuck up. Yeah. Um, after the first time I left Martin's house and came back to London, I remember sort of telling my family about him and speaking to Todd, my good friend who'd experienced a similar kind of pain with his arms, and saying that, like, oh, I think I found someone. It was the first time in my life I was like, of, of this like few years struggle I'd been through of like, I think I might have found one solution that's the beginning of getting better. Unfortunately, Martin's not with us anymore. But um, I, yeah, every day I, I kind of like feel that energy of like, yeah, every day I feel that energy of like, no one is gonna sort your shit out apart from you. And 
that is a seriously big life lesson. Martin's sort of mentality and approach to life of this sort of like, the only person that can help you is you, um, has definitely affected me in many ways, whether it's obviously doing the Pilates stuff, but even musically, it's just like, I'll be finishing a load of records on a tight deadline. And I'm like, kind of like stressed and I'm like, oh, I need, and I'm like reaching out to people. Can you give me a hand with this? And then I always come back to like, hold on a second. Like, I know what I want. If I want to make it a reality and I want to make my dreams come true, I'm the only person, I, I can't wait for people. Um, and that was the approach he taught me. Don't wait for anyone, just your vision. I respect everyone around you, but your vision is, your vision and your taste is all you've got. So just go full speed ahead. So while I was recovering physically um, and doing my exercises that I'd learned from Martin, um, one really important thing was setting myself goals of different lengths. So obviously I had my three-year goal and my seven-year goal that he'd given me, which was a long time. Um, but giving myself shorter-term goals in terms of like, all right, by the end of the week, I want to be able to sit down with one leg out straight on the floor and touch my foot. Like, wow, like mind-blowing. But like, I knew that that was achievable. If I was, I was close, maybe I was like a couple of inches off, but I thought, all right, if I'm really on it, I can push myself and achieve this small goal. Once you hit that goal, you, you, get, you get like an ego boost, you know? You're like, yeah, I did it for myself. And that sort of, that positivity and energy, that ricochets, it's like, it's like a rubber band. Like, all these, all these things we know, you just have to go through and experience it for, to really go in, like to, to internalize it. Um, and to make real sense of it. And I'm grateful for that. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the share button on your podcast app and send it to a friend. If you're a music creative and are interested in featuring on the show, please get in touch with us via our social media channels using the handle at don't skip media at D-O-N-T-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-I-P-S-K-